Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Bator of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Today we are here to talk about the fourth episode in our time travel series, which is about Voyager. Woohoo! We've made it to the Delta Quadrant, everyone. It's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And we had a lot of episodes yeah. for this Voyager series. It was crazy. Definitely go check out our watch lists on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter if you have not already. And we have posted all the episodes that we watched for this podcast. You know, Rihanna, we post watch lists for every single podcast that we make. I suggest if you want a really fresh look on these episodes... Ashlyn, I love posting the watch list because then it gives people a chance to watch it either before they listen to the pod or after. Like, it's a fun way to feel like you're up to date with the episodes that we're watching in real time. So yeah, go and check them out. Our Voyager one will be up even before this episode comes out, so you'll be able to see it. And Ashlyn, would you mind telling our listeners today which episodes we watched for Voyager? Yeah, absolutely. We watched Time and Again, Eye of the Needle, Future's End, Part 1 and 2, Before and After, Year of Hell, Part 1 and 2, Timeless, Relativity, Fury, Shattered, and Endgame, also Part 1 and 2. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, this wasn't as many episodes as we watched for the family series because we were into the 30s for some episodes. Oh my god. So obviously, this time travel series is a lot shorter of the episodes we're watching, but I was really surprised how many Voyager had. Yeah, I just did not expect so many time travel episodes with Voyager for some reason. I guess it makes sense that they're trying to do anything they can to get back, and that includes breaking any kind of time law. (laughs) (laughs) possible but i did not remember the sheer amount of time travel episodes and you know rihanna when we were choosing which episodes to watch we had to even get rid of some because they were anomalies and not human created time travel episodes which of course is the theme of this series yeah only (laughs) or being only yeah oh man i keep being um (laughs) i keep being xenophobic towards (laughs) the other species i'm so sorry i did that in the first episode as well (laughs) we're a little human centric here on earth so (laughs) yeah Also, before we dive into this episode, I just want to mention that if you ever listen all the way to the very end of these podcasts, you'll know that for the past 30-something episodes, every episode that we've done, I have said a very cringy dad joke at the end of our outro. But we are just chaotically changing it up mid-series, so I hope that you stay and listen till the very end of this podcast because we have a new segment at the end of the outro, and I really think you're going to enjoy it. I think it's hilarious, and I'm very excited. (laughs) Okay, Rihanna, what episode would you travel forward into the future to join Voyager in the crew? Which episode would you want to travel forward to? So 
sadly, I'm not as versed on the titles of the episodes for Voyager, so I'm just gonna say I would love to travel back to the episode where they, mostly Tom Paris, created the Delta Flyer because it is an amazing shuttle. I love it. It's got so much history and they put so much work into it that I would love to be an engineer who helped put it together or someone who helped test it out or anything. I think being a part of the Delta Flyer's history would be so cool. That episode is called Extreme Risk. Thank you, Ashlyn. (laughs) (laughs) So happy to have our resident Star Trek historian, Ashlyn, doing the Google work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was just frantically typing while you were talking. (laughs) What season is that, by the way? Season five. Wow, so it's a while before the Delta Flyer even arrives. Yeah. Ashlyn, what about you? What Voyager episode would you like to travel to? A lot of these episodes are not quite as traumatizing as Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yeah. Um, that where I wouldn't necessarily want to live in them. But I would say for Voyager, um, <laughs> yeah, I got it. I got it. I would jump forward to the episode Concerning Flight, which is the one where Leonardo da Vinci gets to leave the holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just living on a planet, chilling. <laughs> Ashlyn, that's the literal perfect answer. I just love the idea that I could be interacting with Leonardo da Vinci in real time and not just on the holodeck. And it's such a preposterous premise that that's my dream. Ashlyn, you've talked about da Vinci a lot in these podcasts, and I just know you adore him. So that's really perfect. I don't know why. It just seems really chill. He seems like a cool dude. Yeah, I love that answer. Thank you. I think I've always aspired to be a Renaissance man myself so (laughs) i i just really want to meet my hero (laughs) so the first time travel episode that we have in voyager actually happens in the third episode of the whole series yeah called time and again yeah so in this episode we are dealing with temporal fractures caused by a polaric explosion this polaric explosion causes an entire planet to be destroyed Now, not the planet itself, but the entire civilization, entire life on this planet is completely obliterated. Tom Paris and Janeway fall into a temporal fracture where they essentially go a day back in time to when the colonists were alive and before this explosion happened. And it turns out this explosion was caused by the fact that Voyager's crew was trying to save Janeway and Paris and bring them back into their own time. It's crazy. So it's one of those loops that Janeway talks about how much she hates. (laughs) Yeah, already I have like 18 thoughts based off of what you just said. I'm especially just thinking about a little bit of foreshadowing on an episode later where Seven of Nine gives the definitions to all these types of time travel. This one is almost the Pogo paradox, which is a causality loop in which interference to prevent an event triggers the exact event. So thanks, Seven, for that definition. We will get to that episode in like an hour, probably. (laughs) And I think this is also a really good place to start in our podcast because this really sets up the theme that a lot of species are going to be eradicated and a lot of planets are going to explode. So get ready for a really explosive discussion today. (laughs) 
<laughs> Literally. <laughs> this is the first of many species that we see wiped out. This Voyager crew has really seen the Delta Quadrant die a lot of times. I thought that the science behind this one was cool. I have no idea what polaric energy is. We haven't talked about that for these time travel episodes, but I don't know if it's been brought up before in Star Trek. It seems like it's a power source that humans have not used and Vulcans, and it's just not one common for the Alpha Quadrant. Rihanna, what did you think about these outfits that this species was wearing? Because I really mm. love them. My favorite look, honestly, of Janeway is her yes. in this kind of fall colors. They're like a nice burnt <laughs> orange and like a yellow. It's just very aesthetically pleasing and I'm very into it. <laughs> yeah, and when Janeway and Paris fall into this pocket, this annoying kid sees them and he's trying to tell tales on them, which is very annoying. And I thought that Janeway and Paris both did a great job of seamlessly trying to blend in with this culture. Yeah. Because we've seen a lot of characters handle this situation where suddenly you're pulled back in time or pulled into a civilization that should not know about you. And a lot of people don't handle it very well. But cough, cough, Kirk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But Janeway was chilling. She was just like, oh, we're from the Calto province. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that they seamlessly integrated until the moment they didn't. Janeway does a full 180 and decides to tell them the full truth when she was berating Tom about telling them the truth maybe 30 minutes prior or 20 minutes prior. So, I mean, I understand it was out of desperation that she didn't want to die. She didn't want to get shot. And she also didn't want these colonists to infiltrate this power plant because she thought that was what was going to trigger the catastrophic events of the planet. Yeah. I think she had to tell them, though. Do you agree with her decision, Rihanna? I do. I think that it was the only way to really get through to them because they were so suspicious. They thought they were from like a secret agency and all of this stuff. They didn't have enough information on the planet going in. This is the problem with the Delta Quadrant and a problem that we see occur often is that it's not like other Starfleet ships have been here before, have told us what the civilization is like, have charted their movements, because if that were the case, then they could just look through the database and be like, okay, here are the provinces, let's learn the names, let's come up with some fake names. But obviously, they're thrown into this temporal fracture and having to be on the fly, and they don't know anything about this culture. And so I do think that it was necessary in order to try to save their lives. But again, they didn't realize that they were the ones who were going to be causing this explosion until the last minute. And so it's just a little crazy. And I mean, luckily, in a lot of these Voyager episodes, the timeline where they found out the truth is erased because of their actions. And so this is the case for this one. So obviously it works out, but I do think it was the best option for this time. What do you think, Ashlyn? Yeah, I totally agree. And this, again, sets up a great theme that we're going to see throughout this episode of the podcast is that Janeway gets a headache when she thinks too much about temporal anomalies and the temporal prime directive <laughs> so she a lot of times like kirk i actually see a lot of similarities between her and kirk even though they both can't maybe integrate into society the same way they both end up just throwing the temporal prime directive out of the window when it's important to do so 
I think in general, she always makes the right call. I think in this episode, I was a little disappointed with the ending because it was a good episode and I liked seeing the back and forth between how Chakotay and Bolana and Tuvok were trying to get Janeway and Paris out of this pocket of time. And Kess. And so, yeah, yeah and Kess too. Oh yeah, Kess was, was important. integral, yeah. Yeah, because she was the one who was able to sense where they had been with her mind powers. Yeah, <laughs> her random just, powers. <laughs> discovering yeah i thought that this ending was a little bit disappointing because there's this big build-up and then they're trying to go back in time and save janeway and tom with this like laser thing that mm-hmm. they're trying to put through cutting through, through subspace time. yeah yeah exactly and then janeway just by shooting her phaser at it stops it so good <laughs> yeah i guess so i'm glad it worked and it is interesting that Kess is the only one who remembers both timelines in the end. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a fine enough episode. I think it's always interesting to see ones where you only go back a day or you're just a tiny bit out of sync. And to see how much can change in just a few hours is astonishing. Jane was saying, you're going to be completely obliterated in an hour. That's just a crazy thought because none of us think that waking up in the morning that this could be our last day on Earth or on whatever planet we're living. And so it's just crazy to think they experience that which could have been this whole civilization's last day yeah cool yeah <laughs> i right. mean not no well, not cool, cool. <laughs> so shall we move on to eye of the needle yeah this is a big one for harry kim oh my <laughs> <laughs> or should i say a real small episode really small <laughs> Ashlyn, would you like to tell our listeners what this episode's all about? Yeah, this one's just a couple episodes after Time and Again. This is episode six of season one. Um, if you hear a dog in the background, it's it's a dog barking, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so in this episode, they are just flying through the Delta Quadrant and chilling, and then Harry sees through his scans that there is a very tiny wormhole. Like, the, the biggest one. Tiniest wormhole ever, and it's great, because Janeway's like, zoom in, zoom in. <laughs> <laughs> Because you still can't see it on the view screen unless you really, really zoom in. And I think it's something like 30 centimeters wide or something. It's really tiny. So they realize, because they send a probe through it, they realize obviously they can't send Voyager through this wormhole, but they can send a probe. They keep realizing, oh, we can send a message. We can get a visual lock on whoever's on the other side because there is someone on the other side and it's a... Romulan. A Romulan. In the Alpha (laughs) Quadrant. Yeah, in the Alpha Quadrant. And there is only a one in three chance that the wormhole could have led to the Alpha Quadrant. And so it was really lucky that it did. And it's also really lucky that this Romulan is pretty chill because he was really not trusting Janeway because it seems preposterous that there would be a Federation ship in the Delta Quadrant. So I kind of understand his perspective. But we learned that he is a scientist on a deep space mission. He's left his family behind. He's not going to see them for another couple years. And this is really what Janeway uses to get him to trust her is like, oh, also, you know, we're not going to see our family for a really long time. So please trust us. The technology is really boundary pushing in this one because they realize that they can not only send messages and visual comlinks, they can beam the Romulan back and forth from ship to ship. They think that this is how they're going to rescue Voyager is just by beaming them aboard 
the Romulan ship, but alas, he is out of time. And when he arrives in the transporter room of Voyager, Tuvok knows right away. <laughs> he's like, oh, this has temporal energy. <laughs> and that he's from 20 years in the past. Yeah, this episode, especially the ending, is just devastating. It guts me because this Romulan is cool. He's so nice. Harry Kim and everyone are desperate. Mostly Harry Kim, let's be real. As usual. Why can't we just, (laughs) yes, as usual. Why can't we just beam into the past? What would that matter? You know, he's like, I just want to be back in the Alpha Quadrant. And I think it's Tom who points out, well, Harry, you'd be like one years old or something. It's a good point. You know, you can't beam back into your own past. That would pollute the timeline. They realize, oh, well, at least this Romulan can send a message in 20 years to our families to tell them where we are, we're safe, we're not dead, we're just in the Delta Quadrant. And it turns out this Romulan dies four years before the 20 year mark. And he said that he would carry those messages. And so they have this vague hope that he maybe passed that along to someone else to send the message, but I don't think so. Starfleet doesn't know Voyager's alive for quite a while. This is still early days. And Tuvok knows because he's seen his file and everything. Yeah, it just makes me very sad that he was four years away from sending the message and he didn't make it. I'd like to think that maybe he did write it in his will or he gave it to someone. It's never talked about, again, Mm -mm. to my knowledge, if those letters actually ever made it. Yeah, I don't think it was. I really liked this episode, though, and it reminded me a little bit of the sound of her voice from Deep Space Nine, where they realize they've been communicating with someone on a planet that was actually three years in the past or something like that. This was a much bigger jump. Most importantly, I want you to take notice, Rihanna and listeners, that this is going to set up something for the finale. And I'm just going to say it right now. If you have not seen the finale of Voyager, you probably should skip this one because we're going to talk a lot about it. I'm just going to say that this episode really begins this pattern of not doing things like going back in time 20 years to change the past and it's something that Janeway is going to totally ignore in the finale and so I think it's really interesting to see that she's going to deny herself a lot a lot of times throughout the series until we get to the very end. I mean they're totally right going back in time 20 years and polluting the time stream would really mess up, especially their personal histories, but it would also really change the history of the Federation for the past 20 years. So yeah, I just want everyone having that in their minds when we get to the finale. (laughs) Ashlyn, this is an essential, essential part of Voyager in general and something that I find to be very disturbing. And I think we will talk about this a little bit in Timeless as well, that I'm just very curious to explore and the ethics of this. So yes, thank you for setting that groundwork, Ashlyn. (laughs) Yeah. I love seeing this Romulan. He's really cool. I feel like we haven't seen a cool Romulan in a long time in these early Star Trek series. So it's nice to nice to see a cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) Speaking of cool guys, (laughs) I think let's jump to Future's End part one and two, which is a fantastic episode. So good. This one is the classic time travel episode where Voyager goes back to 1996. (laughs) Yes, I was baby. (laughs) Baby. Baby. Yeah. Yeah. 
Ashlyn, I am so glad that they had an episode like this because, again, they're always traveling back to whenever the show was made, which I love about this because Voyage Home goes to the 80s. Besides Deep Space Nine, for the most part, they go back to their own times to make it feel very relevant to the people watching at home and everything. And I love these 90s looks. I think Tuvok looks amazing. Paris is such a historian. I love that he's like, yeah, I know the 90s. I'm like, of course... <laughs> Of course he knows the 90s. He just has that vibe, you know? Like, he would just be very into the 1990s. I don't know why. It just works. <laughs> yeah, and he's, like, stealing a car. He knows how to drive, obviously. Of course he does. It's just all of these great moments that I think make this episode so fun and entertaining is to see the 90s through a view of Star Trek. Well, and not only do they go back to when Voyager was filmed, they go back to where Voyager was filmed yeah. because they have their studio, like they literally film it in LA. And so this was a obviously an amazingly cheap episode because they can just go to all these locations and film on site, which is so much fun. And after having lived in LA now for about nine months, I was really understanding these jokes. <laughs> Uh, like they were joking, oh, the 110 is going to be terrible at this hour, <laughs> which is amazing and so true. That's amazing. Um, basically, this one is a really funny one and a little random. So essentially, Voyager, again, is just chilling, trying to get home. And this guy appears out of a spatial rift. Harry calls it a distortion in space time. And it's generated by someone. And it's from this ship that comes out. It's from the 29th century. And he says his name is Captain Braxton. And he's here to stop Voyager because they were involved in an accident that was a temporal explosion. And it will destroy all of their solar system, all of Earth's solar system in the 29th century. So this is a guy who's very desperate and he is freaking out and it seems like he hasn't really done a lot of research about this explosion because all he knows is that Voyager's hull, like a part of Voyager's hull was caught up in the explosion. So he just automatically assumes that they caused it. And Janeway has a great line when they're talking back and forth to each other. She says, I won't sacrifice the lives of this crew based on a 10 second conversation because Captain Braxton is saying like, explode yourself, kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah. Captain Braxton needs to go through some training, I feel like. <laughs> because he needs some help. He needs yeah. some help because apparently he's like a time agent. And you'd think from the 29th century you would do some research. I'm wondering if he's similar to the time agents of the ship that Rasmussen stole in The Next Generation, if that's the same agency. Well, that's 26th century, mm. but yeah, it could be a remnant, an yeah. ancestor of that <laughs> ship. Or like the same group, or I don't know. But I also found it interesting, just for a little placement of the 29th century in our Star Trek timeline, Picard takes place in 2399, and Discovery Season 3 takes place in 3188, and the burn will happen later in 3038. So the 29th century rests a little bit before the burn, and a while after Picard. So it's just interesting to think about that timeline. Okay, but when is the ban on time travel in Discovery? When do they say that is? So according to Book, time travel has also been banned in the 32nd century after the Temporal Wars. Introduced in Star Trek Enterprise, the Temporal Cold War was a conflict that spanned centuries involving the Sulaban and their mysterious 29th century benefactor. 
so in the new hall of the 29th century and the federation of the 31st century including daniels who recruited the nx01 enterprise captain jonathan archer this is from screen rant so thank you screen rant <laughs> i mean we're going to talk a lot more about this whole time travel situation in our discovery episode so stay tuned <laughs> it's interesting that captain braxton is coming from the 29th century because we know foreshadowing to our next podcast with enterprise the benefactor that archer deals with is also from the 29th century so clearly they had a big group of people in charge of time travel at that time good and evil <laughs> yes basically they have their shield up when Captain Braxton is trying to shoot at them because they want to live and they end up getting sucked back into this spatial rift and sent to 1996. But we learn that Captain Braxton was sent back to 1967. And this actually hilariously reminded me of Star Trek 2009. And in this situation, Captain Braxton is Nero, who arrived much earlier than Spock and just had to sit it out and wait in this earlier timeline for Voyager to arrive, just like Nero waited for Spock to arrive for like 30 years or something. Yeah, uh, he was Captain... the first to arrive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And then Nero was waiting, waiting for me. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Captain Braxton, he's had a terrible time in the end of the 20th century, and he is homeless. He's putting up signs all over Santa Monica Pier <laughs> that say the future's end is near. We're all gonna die. It's the end of the future. He's like harassed by cops. <laughs> oh, also, if you hear a bird, uh, the bird in the chimney is back <laughs> in Ashland's house. <laughs> so we're third of the bird. <laughs> I feel very bad for Braxton, um, even though he did try to blow up Voyager. I'm like, he doesn't deserve to be harassed by these cops in a century that he's not used to. It just cracked me up because watching this episode after seeing Past Tense last week, it really was quite the difference because Deep Space Nine is trying to make this really poignant, beautiful, artistic episode about homelessness in America. And Voyager sees Braxton be homeless and then Chakotay and Janeway are like, well, let's boot. Like, let's run out of here. Yeah, <laughs> we they, gotta skip town. <laughs> they leave him to go get chased by the cops. Yeah, they, they don't care about him. And it's not at all a statement about the time in the 90s or anything like that. It's just used as a moment for humor, which is <laughs> so dark. But before that happens, Braxton explains this causality cycle. And so he starts out with point A, which is the explosion. And then he says point B, where Braxton tries to stop the explosion. And then point C, where they're pulled back in time and his time ship is stolen which then creates the temporal explosion again, back to point A. So this is probably another example of Holo, Pogo. This is the Pogo paradox again. Yeah, Pogo yes. paradox. So I just thought it was interesting how he explained that because it is true, his ship was stolen by this guy named Starling and he apparently has been just advancing technology like crazy over the past 10 so years. Ever since he got the time ship he stole from Braxton, he just has been selling this technology. So I guess it's been advancing and that's what Voyager uses to describe the tech boom happening during this time. I'm not sure if that's what they're trying to get at, but it's really interesting to see that he's advancing technology. He's a huge company, huge tech company. 
essentially like Microsoft or something. I think that's what they were going for, but they couldn't say Microsoft because then they would make Bill Gates so evil yeah. <laughs> and so greedy and power hungry, which I don't think he is. I've never met him, but he seems not as terrible as Starling. Yeah. But Rian, I want to draw your memory back to the first couple minutes of this episode because the whole thing starts with a guy camping in the high Sierras in 1967, he's got to be high as a kite. And he's camping, I think backpacking. I also went backpacking in the high Sierras this summer. So, so I was like, oh, I really resonate with this dude chilling. But I'm pretty sure that's Starling because we see then a ship crash in the forest and he's looking at it and looks really shook. And Starling has a one-liner in this episode where he says he found the ship from the 29th century and that's how he was able to dissect it. So I kind of think this is how he made all of his money was he just happened to be in the right place at the right time. That's a really good point. I thought you were going to say his one-liner was far out, <laughs> which he also oh. said. <laughs> oh, man. Pretty groovy, too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's a really good point, Ashley. I hadn't put that together at all. The person that Starling is working with is a character named Rain Robinson, played by Sarah Silverman, who is an amazing comedian. Ooh. So funny. Love her in this episode. I think she did a fantastic job. I really enjoy the way in which she's integrated into this episode because once again we have a female character who gets sort of swept up in this time travel cause essentially and is the only one who learns the truth or part of the truth. I think that Tuvok of course is very strict about keeping the temporal prime directive and Paris is very flippant about it. He is sort of joking around like oh yeah we're secret agents and Rain is like no secret agents would say that they're secret agents. <laughs> like that's not what like this doesn't make any sense. And so she's very smart. She knows what's going on. She's even contacted Voyager sending a welcome message because she was able to pick them up from in orbit. Yeah, in orbit. So she's clearly got the right technology. She's very smart. She's not going to let Paris slip one past her, essentially. Yeah. And Paris, <laughs> I feel like every time travel episode, there's someone who will do anything for the booty. <laughs> and... <laughs> In this case, it's Paris. He does oh not God. care. He's flirting shamelessly with her. And I think they even have a deeper connection than even just surface level flirting because at the end of the episode, it's kind of a sad goodbye where they have to leave each other. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought she was going to try to hop on like oh, yeah. whale lady did. What's her name? <laughs> oh, Jillian. <laughs> I mean, she's forever immortalized as whale lady. Yeah. So I think that's acceptable to remember that name. Yeah, yeah that's, it's Star Trek's favorite recipe. I mean, Rick Berman and all of these writers, they just love a good lady from the century, wherever they are, to hang out with the Voyager crew or any Star Trek crew. Yeah, they become sort of a guide and this bridge between the present and the future. And so it's just interesting to see her interaction here. Also, really quick, I want to talk about the fact that Neelix and Kess were just up on the ship watching soap operas. Yeah, I love that the B-plot, they were not trying to do anything too crazy with the characters left up on the ship. <laughs> so they just had Neelix watching <laughs> soap operas. Like, they're monitoring to see if there's going to be any information that's relevant in the news, but really, that's all they're doing. <laughs> yeah. I also wondered the logic behind leaving Harry on the bridge because in my opinion, he does a terrible job. There's a moment where Janeway is captured by Starling and so is Chakotay. 
And of course, because whatever the MacGuffin is in this episode this week, the transporters are down. So the only way to rescue Janeway and Chakotay is to fly, literally Voyager, close to LA and pick them up. <laughs> because we are talking the, close. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> someone has a portable camera and can film Voyager close. And Janeway literally gave Harry express orders to not do that. Like, do not be shown. Do not fly down to the planet and be exposed. This also comes after the shocking revelation that Starling's use of 29th century technology is rampant. And he's actually a really threatening adversary to Voyager because his technology is way better than theirs at this point and he can prevent himself from being transported. He has all of these amazing devices that will prevent Voyager from doing their job and saving Earth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so I just really thought that Janeway was going to be angry at Harry for flying down and risking the exposure of our world. <laughs> <laughs> to, to quote Snape in yeah. Chamber of Secrets. But Janeway's just like, nice one, Harry. You're doing great. <laughs> oh, it's so chaotic. I really don't understand a lot of the motivations in this episode because half the time, I mean, I feel like Tuvok is truly the only one upholding this temporal prime directive, which is very Vulcan of him and something I very much respect because I also have such a pet peeve when people are just spouting information. Tom Paris literally told Rain that he goes to Starfleet Academy. Like, yeah. you couldn't think of one college name? Like, just no. say you go to Harvard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. I mean, it's really a disaster. And this is why I keep likening Janeway to Kirk, because she does not care about the timeline. <laughs> yeah, like we said, she's actively said this a lot of times that she doesn't care. We hear her multiple times in these episodes saying like, oh, screw the temporal prime directive. Yeah, so I guess it's fine. But I just feel like this is really, truly a disaster. And if Captain Braxton wasn't homeless, he would definitely be coming back into the past to clean up this whole mess because it's really a nightmare. There's some other things. First of all, I want to mention is that Chakotay and Bolana also get kidnapped during this time. Oh, and God. People see Bolana. Like, she's a Klingon. She's clearly not human. But these people. I kind of I am worried that they're like white supremacist militia. That's I'm the vibe little, I'm getting. Especially like calling Chakotay an Indian and tying them up and saying some stuff about Bolana. Yeah. Yeah. And they all had guns and they were ready to fight the government. <laughs> yeah. It was that's, very that's, scary. That's militia to me. So I was a little worried about Bolana and Chakotay in that part of the episode for sure oh absolutely yeah it's just not great the other thing too is that i'm concerned about the pollution of the timeline like very much so in this episode i also forgot completely that this is the introduction of the doctor's mobile emitter and this is yes. where the technology comes from because i remembered that it came from a different century but didn't remember how it came here and so essentially starling uses it as a piece of leverage against voyager and he tortures the doctor like he finds a way for a hologram to experience pain. Like you're right, Ashlyn, he's very dangerous. He is way too powerful for his own good. And the doctor is a hostage. Yeah, this is an important episode for the doctor because he really is the cool guy who comes in and saves Chakotay and Bolana. And a lot of what happens in the 90s is thanks to the doctor coming down and saving everybody. 
And I thought that him experiencing pain was actually a little bit of foreshadowing to future episodes where the doctor is trying to expand his humanity and he does allow himself to get sick because he wants to be more empathetic to his patients. Mm -hmm. And so I thought even though it's introduced by such a horrible character, it's kind of cool that this episode does continue to develop the doctor's future and who he becomes as a being. Yeah, absolutely. I also love the quote that Janeway says to Starling. She says, in my time, no human being would endanger the future to take advantage in the present. Because essentially, Starling is saying, I don't care that the future is going to blow up and that galaxies are going to be destroyed. I just want to be rich right now, essentially. So he's completely greedy. I mean, we saw a picture of him shaking hands with Nixon. So are you that surprised? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He probably helped him with the wiretaps. No, we know he didn't because he was chilling in the high Sierras. But (laughs) I mean, I don't truly agree with Jadenway. I think there definitely are people in her time that would take advantage of their present and not care about the future. But I do understand what she means. She's talking about the Starfleet values that are not upheld during this time period. So... It is interesting to see characters like Starling because I feel like a lot of the time travel episodes, the people from the past are very dumb or like obviously they don't know what's going on, which is fair. It is fun and challenging to see such a dangerous opponent in this episode. Yeah, as much as I throw shade and hate Starling, he's an excellent villain. And it was so frustrating that everything that Voyager tried, he had a way to combat it. And so it really had a great sense of tension that was built throughout the episode because I was really wondering how the F they were going to get out of the situation. Before we jump to the ending, I just want to talk about some really funny Star Trek history moments that were thrown in. For example, when they're walking around on Santa Monica Pier, maybe Harris or Harry says that subspace technology won't exist until 2096. So we have a great future ahead of us. Just a couple years, we're going to have subspace technology. That's cool. Cool. And then I thought it was great. Janeway talks about the great Hamosa quake in 2047, where this whole region of California sank and became the biggest coral reef in the world. (laughs) Oh my. And it was teeming with life. And so as much as I don't want California to sink into the ocean, it would be great because we killed the great coral reef already because of pollution. So maybe California could take one for the team. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have much time. 2047 is kind of speeding along here. So yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But yeah, so I love those little bits of history that they drop in these episodes. We always get funny moments like that. The last observation I'll make about Starling is that he was a lot like Rasmussen, except he's way worse. Yeah. Because Rasmussen in the TNG episode also wanted to get future technology and then bring it back into the past to make a fortune. But I don't think he would do it at the expense of destroying the entire future and the entirety of Earth. And that's what's so crazy about Starling is he just does not care. And it's it's really hard to imagine. Yeah. Say lovey, here we are. <laughs> Absolutely. The timeline that they created was erased when they were able to go back because they were able to get the time ship back for Braxton and corrected the anomaly. Because at the end of the episode, they're like, oh, hello, Captain Braxton. How are you doing? He's like, I don't know who you are. This was a different timeline. Like, this never happened. 
I guess it works out that Janeway throws all caution to the wind and just doesn't care about the temporal time directive. <laughs> I mean, she still should. I also find it interesting that in a lot of these time travel episodes, they have to confront the idea that they may not be able to go back to their own time period. And in this episode, they talk about what would happen if they got stuck in the past, and Chakotay and Bellana especially. And so Chakotay's like, well... I'm pretty interested in anthropology. I would love to go do some, like, look at some rocks, look at some civilizations. Like, he's like, you know, I'd have a pretty good time. <laughs> like, Chakotay's just like, I'd fit in just fine. And Bolana's over here like, well, I don't know how much they would accept a Klingon engineer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I gotta think about that. Like, how in the world would she ever survive in this past time period? So it's just a crazy thought that they have to face and I'm really of course glad that they were able to get back to their time but not get back to their quadrant that was the thing the crux of it is that they can't go back to earth because that's not how it works either you go back in time you can't use that anomaly thing that uh, Braxton created to travel to their time this isn't first contact it doesn't work that way (laughs) yeah they're not the Borg (laughs) yeah yeah exactly I thought it was kind of a nice moment at the end of the episode because it really seems like history is going to repeat itself and that Starling is going to take the time ship and Voyager will be destroyed. And there's a moment where Tuvok's like, everything we are trying is failing and history is going to repeat itself. We will be caught in this Pogo paradox. And Chicote looks at him and is like, really? Fate, Tuvok? That's what you think is going to happen right now? And I thought it was just a nice moment because of all the characters, Tuvok is not one that would ever except that fate is going to be the thing that guides his destiny. But when you're down and out, and it seems like this is an impossible task, I thought it was a nice moment that we see him lose faith. But never fear, because the Voyager crew can figure out anything. (laughs) Yeah, they can get out of any close scrape. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I just want to wrap it up and really emphasize what you said a couple minutes ago, Rihanna, that Braxton does not remember any of this. And he has a line that says, I did not experience that timeline. And I thought that was really interesting. And it's something to remember for a future episode that we're going to discuss. And then a last note to end on that I thought Lower Decks really emphasized the animated TV show. Mm -hmm. Because Janeway has an announcement. She says, all the crew come to the mess hall for a toast. And then we pan to the mess hall and it's only the senior officers. (laughs) (laughs) there for the toast and I just thought that was such a moment that Lower Decks always makes fun of that it's at the end of the episode it's always the senior crew coming together to have a laugh (laughs) while everyone else is like repairing the ship or like (laughs) (laughs) even though she said the whole crew should be there oh I just I love that part I thought it was wonderful agreed (laughs) so Ashlyn we're gonna shift a little bit to the episode before and after And this is all from Kess's perspective. So this is a really fascinating episode because she is essentially Benjamin Button. (laughs) Her memory begins at the moment of her near death, essentially, where she is put into this temporal bio bed. Thank you. Oh, oh yeah, biotemporal field that activates dormant chroniton particles. So we are back with the chronotons, people. Yes, here they are. are. Back. All about the chronotons again, because this is an incredibly intrinsic episode, and I find it to be so well written 
because they mention the year of hell and we see part of the year of hell before we even know what that is. And obviously as a person who's seen Voyager a lot is like screaming because I love when they're able to worm in plots that are coming up into episodes you're watching right now because then you have something maybe not to look forward to because you're like, oh, year of hell, that sounds terrible. But I think it's cool that they are showing a potential future that could happen on Voyager. And this potential future is that Janeway and Bolano were killed during the year of hell and Tom Paris fell in love with Kess and it weirdly works. Ashlyn, what did you think about this? Well, at first, when I realized that Tom was her husband, I was so against it and so angry. But the more you see, Kess is continuing to jump back, jump back in time, and she's gaining more of her memories. And we see these really sweet moments with Tom and Kess together where he's reminding her, this was the day that we had our daughter, and this was the day I realized that I love you, and this was the day that you helped me through a time where I was suicidal, and you helped me get back on track. It's really, really sweet. And I was shocked that I really liked them as a couple. I couldn't believe it because I'm such a Tom and Bolana stan, but it makes sense that if Bolana were to pass away, Tom would probably still get with somebody else. And I mean, I would not expect it to be Kess, but I'm not complaining, honestly, because they do such a great job showing their relationship in this episode. I did, however, really protest the fact that Harry Kim got together with Kess and Paris's daughter. That is wrong. <laughs> that is wrong on so many levels. That is disgusting. <laughs> I really hated it every second. When I first learned of it, I was like, no, I refuse to accept this future. <laughs> I think their kid is cool. Andrew. Andrew, yeah. Andrew, yeah, I like their I like their kid. And, you know, just a reminder for everyone, if you forgot about the Okompan species, they only live nine years, and so that's why they're aging so rapidly compared to the rest of the Voyager crew. Ethically, it's fine that Harry's marrying a, like, two-year-old Okompan, but again, for me, it just seems wrong. <laughs> yeah, that makes Tom Harry's son-in-law... Yeah, well, and especially because we've seen episodes in the past where Tom and Harry, there's so many episodes where they're going double dating out, trying to get with twins or with a pair of sisters or with two close female friends or something. Yeah. And so then to see them with a mother and a daughter <laughs> is really gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like gagging a little right now, but it's fine. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. But this was a cool Kess episode, and I really thought it showed off how smart she was because after the third jump back in time, she definitely notices a pattern. And I thought it was interesting because the older she was, the less that people believed her. But the younger that she got, people were more willing to accept what the situation was that she was going through. And I thought it really spoke to how we view the elderly and how we assume that their minds might not be up to tip-top shape. And so we just don't believe what they're saying. And the doctor, even, is really dismissive of what Kess is going through, even though... It's 
it's terrible. She's lost 98% of her memory in grams, and then every jump she does back, she's lost 95%, 92%, or whatever, because she ends up gaining more of her memories as she's jumping back. Also, this episode reminded me of The Father, which is an Oscar movie, or it was just nominated for an Oscar this past year, and Anthony Hopkins actually won for Best Actor in it. It's a fantastic movie, but it also deals with the perspective of someone who has Alzheimer's or dementia and how they experience life. And so I thought it was interesting having Kess go through this because it was a parallel to when someone has dementia and they can't remember who their daughter is or who their grandson is. Just a really nice episode and a really interesting way to do time travel too. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for saying all that. I think too that what was so essential about this episode is that we get to see Kess in these different moments dealing with these tough situations and how graceful she is in these moments. Like she really deals with this with a ton of grace and confidence and it's incredible. I completely agree. One overlying factor that happens through all of these time travel episodes I'm noticing when especially Kess is involved like in Time and Again where she is sensing Janeway and Tom's presence. Neelix is consistently doubting her and consistently uh I don't want to say gaslighting but kind of gaslighting her in the way of saying no you're probably just tired. Oh, you're not feeling well. It was just a dream. You're hallucinating. He uses all of these excuses. And so every time she goes back, we see Neelix continue to doubt her. And it doesn't matter who else believes her. Neelix is consistently doubting her. And I just find that to be very frustrating and something that is important to remember about their relationship. Anyway, I'm just, I really hate Neelix and Kes as a couple. So I will rag on them at any chance I get. And I do like though that Voyager's crew especially like you said, when she gets younger, immediately jumps on this and attempts to figure out what's going on. Because like Janeway says in the beginning of Voyager, weird is part of the job. So they know that Kess is telling the truth, they believe her, and there is enough physical evidence of this happening. And I find it so interesting that the focal point of this is the year of hell. It's the fact that there was chronoton radiation in, I think, the same torpedo, right? The, yeah, the Kremen launched a torpedo that affected the whole crew, like irradiated the whole crew. And then Kess was inoculated for it. The whole crew was inoculated for this radiation, specifically for this chronoton radiation. What we see at the beginning of the episode when Kess is being put into the temporal bio bed, that is what reactivates the chronoton radiation. This is what's causing her jumps back in time because chronotons now are just going to be used for the rest of the show. It's really interesting because I have never in my life noticed the word chronoton radiation until we've been doing this time travel series. It's everywhere, yeah. It makes me happy that the writers are really consistent with this verbiage, (laughs) you know? I just love it. Absolutely. I never would have noticed it before. Well, and when we finally get back to the year of hell, we see that Kess risks her life and risks that moment in time to go back and get the exact, what's it called? Temporal frequency or something. Yeah, Yeah. of the torpedo. And so that they can pinpoint the exact level of chronotons that are in her system that they need to eradicate in order to stop this from happening. So that when she jumps again, she can tell them, listen, (laughs) here's what's happening. Another interesting parallel that we're going to find in the episode Shattered later on when we talk about it, the fact that when she (laughs) keeps jumping back, 
the crew also knows her less. And so her credibility decreases because they know her less. And so luckily she finds a time period where they're able to get her into the sick bay and start to remove the chroniton radiation, all of that stuff. But she jumps again before they're able to complete it. And she's back to when Janeway barely knew Kess. And so it's a lot harder to get people to listen to her when they don't know her and they don't know her experience. And when Neelix is continuing to call her crazy and hallucinating and all of that. And then of course she's sent back to when she was back on Ocampa and she's probably less than a year old. And she's a child and no one listens to kids because they think that it's just a fantasy she's building in her head. So no one's listening to the elderly, no one's listening to children. <laughs> Luckily, <laughs> they're able to remove the chronotons. I think that's what they're doing. I don't know, the science behind it's a little confusing to me, but it's able to work out essentially where she's back in her own time. So I do have some questions about this though, because once again, I feel like the ending is kind of shoehorned in and not really explained. Yeah, so the time period where she totally convinces the crew that she's jumping, the doctor immediately gets her into this temporal bio bed and is removing her crototon particles. But we see her continue to jump back in time, like you just talked about, where she's a kid. And we even see her become an embryo and then an egg and then like a sperm and an egg. So is weird. And then we see the screen is black for a second and you're like, um, did the world end? <laughs> like, what, like, is Kess just out of existence? <laughs> like, what's happening? How will the show continue? And then suddenly the life begins to form again and time speeds back up to normal. And we see her jumping forward in time now to the time where she is in the temporal bio bed. So my question is, when Kess leaves a timeline and jumps back, like she's done in this whole episode, does the rest of those timelines just continue going? Because my impression was that every time she jumps back, then that future is erased because there's a potential that she will change the future or whatever but i don't know it's confusing to me that there's a time period where the doctor is able to save her even though she's like an egg <laughs> you know my only explanation for this is that her mind is time traveling to different parts of her body at different periods of her life or her consciousness essentially is the way i thought of it and so her body continues to function as it would or as it already has, I guess, if you think of the timeline going backwards. But it is confusing and I'm not sure. I think my guess is that the doctor was like a second away from getting all the chronotons out. And so when she kept traveling back, it may have felt like a couple minutes or however long she was traveling for her, but to them it was maybe a second and then they got her back. So that's my guess is that it was sort of, they were almost there when she traveled. I don't know. It is very confusing and a really wild type of time travel. I think that's a good reminder, though. I hadn't really thought through that it's obviously from her consciousness, from her perspective. I think also maybe I'm not viewing time correctly. I might not have the brain to view time the way that it should be viewed. We're about to meet a character, Anorax, who talks about this a lot, and we're about to jump to your hell, but maybe the timeline does not matter, and it's about these two things were happening at the same time. Kess was both an egg, and the doctor was irradiating her at the same time, so this is what it I all worked guess. out. Yeah. yeah, that's my only explanation, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow, what a, what a cool one. What a cool episode. Yeah, and one thing to end on is once they're all just celebrating the fact that Kes is fine, they're all asking her about this potential future. And she reminds them, well, 
things could change. But Janeway pulls her aside and is like, I would like to hear about this year of hell. Tell me more about the Krennin. And then it sort of fades to black. And then our next episode is year of hell. So very quickly, before we even jump into this, did Janeway remember anything that Kes warned her about? Maybe not to die. She didn't die in this timeline, obviously. But the rest, did she even think about avoiding Krennin space? No. Did she write this down? I would write it down as a calendar reminder. Be like, listen, if you encounter the Krennin, maybe avoid it. But I mean, my explanation is that Astrometrics had just been built and they saw that it would cut five years off their journey to go through Krennin space. So I assume that Janeway maybe remembered about the Krennin, but is like, well, I'm going to take that risk to shave off five years. Yeah, I was disappointed that there wasn't a line mentioning anything about Kess. Before and After takes place, it's a 21st episode of season three, and then Year of Hell is the eighth episode of season four. So they're reasonably close together. And so that makes me even more confused why there wasn't a drop line about Kess. But I think maybe once Seven of Nine joined the crew, they were just trying to wipe out any history that Kes had even been on board, it seems like, because there's really no one ever talks about her at any point. I do want to say, though, that the fact that Kes told Janeway everything about the Krenim did change the future, though, and we even see this exact torpedo that is lodged into Voyager in Kes's episode is again lodged into Voyager, but this time it's Seven of Nine and Tuvok who are the ones going to try to disarm it. And yeah. so I thought it was interesting that there was a destiny that similar crew members to go and interact with this torpedo. And it was the same frequency, which I thought was amazing detail. That was so cool that they made it the exact same 1.47 that is so, Rihanna, I did not realize it's the same frequency. Yeah. That is, that's crazy. I thought it was just trying to reference the same torpedo. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Like, kudos to the Boom. Voyager writers. They sometimes shoehorn in their endings, but they really are careful about things when it comes to time travel. Yeah. Wow. Well, Year of Hell Part 1 and 2 is a really epic episode. And I really was wishing that this could have been a movie. The choice to make a cinematic feature-length film based off of a TV show means that the stakes have to be super, super high because we don't want to watch a movie where they're just like surveying a planet and then they have to stop like Jack the Ripper from killing people in London. Like that's <laughs> not worth the movie. But what's worth a movie is seeing Janeway and the crew of Voyager fight tooth and nail to protect themselves and go through constant unending stress every single day where they're fearing for their lives and it's a war zone and crew members are dropping dead left and right. Voyager is under attack every couple hours it seems like. These are incredible amazing stakes and I thought that the villain in this episode if you can call him that um, actually, I definitely call him that. He's kind of like Hitler. Yeah. Anorax is a really interesting villain for this as well. So I just wish that so many other Star Trek series had movies to accompany them because these kind of episodes should be seen on the big screen. This is a fantastic, amazing, epic episode. Yes, it felt very cinematic. So let's talk a little bit about Anorax, this villain, because he is a part of the Krennin 
species. And his motivation, we learn later on, is that he is attempting to bring back the planet which his family died on, essentially. And he has this crazy temporal technology. It's insane. He's been attempting to rewrite the timeline for 200 years. And him and his crew have been eradicating species. Not just planets, whole species. Like we see in the beginning, he eradicates the Zal homeworld. And that was the focal point of the temporal restoration, essentially, is what he calls it. He literally does not care about any other life but his own family. On, of course, a larger scale, this reminded me of the Into the Spider-Verse film where Fisk's motivation is only to bring back Vanessa and his son. And so he will literally create these crazy time parallel universe in the Spider-Verse world in order to just get his family back, you know? So he literally doesn't care about anything else those similar motivations. It's actually kind of like Nero too, you know, just literally not caring about who they destroy as long as, you know, I mean, Nero wasn't trying to get anyone back, but he was still avenging his family. Anyway, again, I don't really care that his family died because he's committing so much genocide. The ends don't justify the means at all. I mean, he is doing global and universal domination, essentially. He talks about how he wants the Krennin to be the top species in the quadrant. Yeah, it's just really horrible what he's doing and the amount of timelines that he's eradicating. He's completely eliminating people from history. He says he's not a murderer. That's how he justifies it. He's like, oh, well, they never even existed. I'm like, that still means they're gone either way. Yeah, I was just gonna have a shout out to Kurtwood Smith in this episode. He's the actor that I mostly know from that 70s show, which is a very different mood. (laughs) (laughs) Is he the dad? Yeah, he's the dad in Uh that 70s show. Yeah, totally different vibe than this episode. I think they use this explanation for a lot of villains, and it's a good one, and it's, it's a relatable motive where you're just trying to get your family back. But in this case, I thought it was interesting because he wasn't so evil that he was willing to completely reshape the Delta Quadrant so he would be king of it or something, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, he was not searching for power at all, even though he's probably one of the most powerful characters that Star Trek has ever run into. So, I mean, luckily, he's plagued by grief and he is insane because he's trying the same thing over and over again with the same result, which is the definition of insanity. (laughs) So I I guess it's lucky for the Delta Quadrant and maybe for all the quadrants that he is not searching for world domination because arguably this technology in the hands of Khan would be devastating. I mean, it would all be over, you know? If the Borg Queen found this technology, like, can you imagine how devastating this would be? I I mean, mean, the Borg would have assimilated everyone in like a day. Oh, in like a second. Yeah, this wouldn't be 200 years of searching for a lost planet for the Borg Queen. She'd just snap her fingers like Thanos and be like, cool i rule now literally um yeah so i guess it's good that this villain is plagued by empathy and i kind of wonder if a side effect of messing with time is that you are slowly worn down about how many different possibilities there are and at some point paris and chakotay are captured by anorex and Tom is getting really close with the crew and the first officer on Anorax's ship is totally, totally 
sad and really ready for this to be over because he talks about that he is celebrating birthdays for people who died a hundred years ago or 200 years ago or for people who never even existed like his brother he talks about or his mother and father and their family and I just can't imagine how exhausting this would be to never know exactly what your history is, to never know what your future is, to not even know what your present is because the state of the galaxy is fluctuating so much. I feel like even if Khan had this technology, do you think he would do the same thing where eventually you lose your sense of compassion for destroying all these species? You're like, all right, well, I'll wipe out these guys because who cares? I can bring them back tomorrow if it brings back my wife, you know? Yeah, it starts to become a obsession for Anorex especially. And him and his crew have to become completely numb to this in order to even be rewriting these timelines over and over again. Yeah, nothing would feel real. I mean, the way that he's planning it is so detached and he's so nonchalant. Like, oh yeah, if we eliminate this home world, then maybe it'll bring mine back. Or if we eliminate these five species or whatever. And just have a person say that with such nonchalance shows how long they've been doing this and how many times it's failed and how many iterations they've attempted. Yeah, and Chakotay really gets dangerously close to being pulled into this crazy nonsense because... While they're on the ship, Anorex holds out a hand to Chakotay and says, help me solve this problem. Help me with my calculations. Because Chakotay wants to do this in a peaceful way. Obviously, he wants to send Voyager back in time so they can get to Earth without having entered Krennan space. And also do it without killing any civilizations. And Chakotay gets wrapped up in this i think without paris i mean they have a moment where it almost comes to fighting (laughs) because paris is trying to get him to see that anorex is a murderer he literally is wiping out all of these species chakotay is very flattering towards him he says he's a misunderstood genius and so i think without paris there chakotay totally would have succumbed well i don't know if he would have but I, I he might have, yeah. He might have, yeah. But Paris is a really good anchoring force, and he's even willing to fight with Chakotay when he's going against his orders. Yeah. Well, and I want to talk a little bit about just the concept of time in this because I feel like it is so different for each character. Like you were talking about how that crewman that Paris talks to was celebrating birthdays for people who are gone. On the opposite side, before Chakotay and Paris are captured, Chakotay gives Janeway a birthday gift and she completely forgot her birthday. She doesn't even know what month they're in because they're spending every day fighting for their lives. And they're spending every moment trying to make sure that Voyager gets through this intact and that the crew survives. And so I think these parallels can be traced together where everyone's experiencing time in such different ways. Throughout the episode, we also see it jump. We see it say day 32, day 126 as the episode goes on. I think these are brilliant, brilliant ways to segment out the episode because as the episode goes on, before we even get to part two, we see the destruction caused just in 56 days or just in 100 days or something and how Janeway's ready room is completely destroyed. We see Chakotay's quarters are completely demolished. You know, all of these things, they're doing triage in the mess mess hall. hall. Yeah, so... 
it's got to be this impossible situation. And I think that obviously Janeway starts to break down, especially when they have to send the crew away. She finally tells them to abandon ship and has the senior staff stay on. And so there's, what, seven people running the entirety of Voyager. Mm -hmm. They've already lost Cote in Paris at that point when they were kidnapped. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think of Year of Hell as hearkening back to 2020, you know, where something happens every day that is horrible and awful, and you just have to get through it. And I very much resonated when Jade Way was like, oh my god, it's May 20th? I thought we were still in April. I'm like, yeah, that feel, that's a quarantine <laughs> mood right there. They did that so well to explain this sort of mentality of just getting through each second of every day to survive. I totally agree. And I just want to point out that every crew member is struggling silently with something. And I think the person, obviously Janeway, is the most badass of all badass to ever be badass. She's, I mean, she's <laughs> unbelievable in this episode it's a really shining moment for Kate Mulgrew but I think a crew member that doesn't get talked about enough is Tuvok because at the beginning of the episode when we see him and Seven are trying to disarm the warhead Tuvok is blinded and he's blind for this entire episode and there's no talk of the doctor trying to treat him I mean the doctor's down we don't even have an EMH able to treat him it's just Paris doing all this work until he's captured (laughs) and so I thought it was a really special bond that formed between Tuvok and Seven in this time because she's the one guiding him around the ship helping him go to his post and he's luckily amazing and able to continue doing his job without his sight yeah Um, but I I love to see that he never complained once during the episode and there's a great moment where Tuvok's on the bridge working and Janeway just looks up at him and her facial expression is that of sorrow you know that she sees her best friend doing this job so amazingly but he's suffering so much Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's really hard. And but I think it's incredible. They have a tactile interface that he can use in order to continue to do his work. Because we all know Tuvok, especially at this point in the series, he would not just accept just sitting around not helping them. He's like, there is a way that I can continue to work. And he does. Yeah, it's just so admirable and incredible to see. Another moment before the doctor goes down, we see him sealing off the decks because they know that there's going to be an explosion. And the doctor has to leave behind two crewmen to seal off the deck. And he talks about this later with Paris because... Tom is struggling, obviously, with Bolana's hurt at one point, and so Tom is so wrapped up in that that the doctor gets pretty mad. He's like, this is triage. Like, she's fine for now. She's going to live. You need to move on to the next patient. And then he explains, we are all going through hardships. I had to leave people behind. Like, that's his Hippocratic Oath. And this also shows the growth of the doctor that his programming probably wouldn't have allowed that, but because he's advanced beyond it, he was able to make that really tough spur of the moment decision to save more people, even though he had to end up letting two people die. It's the classic trolley problem. (laughs) But for a hologram, it's just impressive. And exactly like you said, Ashlyn, they're all dealing with this in different ways. Janeway is just so determined and the doctor at one point even relieves her of command but she's like how are you going to enforce that (laughs) yeah look where Um, we are there's no security guards here if you court-martial me it's fine I'll face the music when we get home which I'm sure never happens because this episode never happens this is pretty much all the other episodes we've talked about so far history is brought back to 
normal in resolution of this episode. All because wow. Janeway learns that if she sets a collision course with the temporal ship, then it will probably, I mean, I don't know how this would even happen, how some reversal would happen in this way, but it works. <laughs> she sets a collision course. She sacrifices her life like a classic Janeway move. We'll see this again <laughs> to save the future and their yeah. past. My guess is that because Janeway talks about that she's made some allies in this Krenum space. And so they have a couple different ships attacking the Krenum time ship. I'm just going to call it. Yeah. And the most important part of that fight is that they return that ship to normal space time. Because this whole time they have chronoton fluctuating shields. So they're never in any time period. They're in every time period and no time period. <laughs> They're everywhere, and, um, nowhere. Yeah. and nowhere. And so as soon as that ship is returned to normal time, Janeway rams into it. And it makes sense because this ship is the focal point of all of the temporal disruptions for the past 200 years or however you want to talk about time. So it makes sense that destroying it means that none of this would have happened because there wouldn't have been a ship that would have jumped anywhere. <laughs> so I thought that was a really cool and badass solution i love that this episode ends by janeway saying 2370 i hear that was a great year (laughs) (laughs) wow they had no memory of it and this whole incident is super easily avoided because when voyager flies up to crumb in space someone appears and says hey this area's in dispute just go around janeway's like all right and that's it yeah So let's move on to the episode Timeless. This has a lot of parallels to me to the episode Endgame, but instead of it being Janeway, it is Harry Kim and Chakotay as the survivors of this quote-unquote failed timeline, essentially. So we discover in this episode that they created a quantum slipstream drive, and we see this christening scene. It's really fun. Everyone's celebrating. Chakotay and Harry are guiding Voyager through the quantum slipstream, and Harry miscalculates the course correction and sends Voyager careening out of the slipstream into a planet that's, I don't know what class it is, but it's essentially an ice planet, and they crash and all die on impact, so it's awful, and only Harry and Chakotay go home, and they make it back to Earth, but they're the only two survivors, and for 15 years, Harry and Chakotay are living with survivor's guilt, and particularly Harry, because it was his mistake that sent Voyager out of the slipstream. Then they spend pretty much all of these years looking for a way to undo this future and to go back in time and save Voyager before they can crash. And they do this through Seven's cortical implant. So it's just some crazy science. Thank God that Seven of Nine still has this Borg technology that they just commonly used (laughs) to help them out of sticky situations. Harry and Chakotay do not care about the future that they created when they went through the slipstream. They do not care about any of the children being born during that time, any of the families they created. Even Chakotay is dating this woman And he doesn't care if they go back and never have met. And she doesn't either because she wants to help him with his mission. Like that's some true love right there to know that you're never going to even exist in that timeline. Crazy. So I just find it to be wild that they are so negligent is what I want to say. This is a word I want to use because they care so much about saving Voyager that literally the future they created has no meaning to them and they do not care about it. 
I think especially Harry is the driving force for this because he is so racked with guilt that he killed all of his closest friends, which, you know, I can't blame him for at all. Yeah. And this is a different Harry Kim that we see. Future Harry Kim is really rough around the edges. He is really emotional. He's really tough and kind of a badass, honestly. Yeah. He spent 10 years trying to recalculate the correct course corrections to send back to Voyager. And so that's their plan is they're going to send the correct course corrections into Seven and then she's going to be able to guide Voyager safely back to Earth. But what they find out is that it doesn't matter how long Harry spends on trying to get these course corrections. It took him 10 years and they were still wrong. And so Harry has a full-on panic attack with the doctor in that scene. And the doctor kind of mentally slaps him and says, hey, you didn't do all of this work so you could fail right now. You have to figure out a way to get Voyager to safety and save all of your friends. And I think this is another instance, like with Anorax we just saw in Year of Hell, Harry is also doing the same thing over and over again, and the result is insanity, because it's not going to work, and the doctor is the only one who can say, hey, this is not working, we need to try something else. I thought that was a really powerful moment that they had together. To me, the answer is just go back and tell Janeway to not do it, because she was really on the fence about it anyway, and we see in this episode that we're not sure if there's a big uncertainty that the slipstream drive is going to work at all because it's really advanced technology. I thought it was a good resolution that even though there's not a way for them to talk to Janeway in the past, make a phone call, what Harry does end up doing is sending back a course correction that stops Voyager and just turns the slipstream offline. So they're able to survive, but still they got 10 years off their journey, which is a big deal. And once again, that future's erased. It's totally gone. All the progress they made in that 15 years, whatever happened to the Federation on Earth, boom, it doesn't matter. It's gone because Voyager's 10 years closer to home now. Yeah, it's crazy. And also we get a guest star appearance from LeVar Burton in this episode. We get to see Jordy. It's amazing. And I love that they put Jordy in this episode because it makes you grapple with the decision that Chakotay and Harry are making in this moment. It makes you think, oh my god, they really are trying to destroy this whole timeline just to save like 200 people, you know, which I mean, I get it and I understand. And even Jordy says, if it were my crew, I'd probably be in your position as well. So I love that we get this empathy from Jordy because it's a character we know and love. And so it's really smart that the writers did this to make us grapple with their decision and Ashlyn I'm curious in this scene where Jordy and Chakotay are talking whose side are you on who do you want to sort of come out on top in this that's a tough question for me I'm definitely on Chakotay's side because I like the crew of Voyager but I think it was a great choice to have LeVar Burton be the Federation representative because he exactly like you said Rihanna he's someone who's so relatable and so understanding of this type of situation and I think he kind of does a little wink to Chakotay and says good luck I believe in you it sounds like Jordy doesn't really care if his future is changed because then we'll have 150 more lives but I totally understand the Federation's perspective this is like the biggest temporal no-no in the book literally (laughs) 
I can't help, like you said, see the parallels with Endgame. We have not talked about once my eternal shipping of Chakotay and Janeway in this because it's about time travel and I'm trying not to bring up the truest love of all. Yeah. But <laughs> I thought it was really interesting that Chakotay cannot live in a world without Janeway and Janeway can't live in a world without him either. No. So they both will go back and change 15 years of history to get the other one back. Yeah. If that I'm isn't just, love, I don't know what is. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Harry, at the end, when they're back in the regular timeline, back on Voyager, 10 years in the future, it was Harry's Starfleet code that they figured out who sent the message. And then Kim realizes that it was some other future, now non-existent iteration of himself. And that's just got to be completely surreal. I don't know. I just find that ending to be really interesting meeting or watching a video with your future self would just be unbelievable and i love that scene where harry gets to watch it because you get the sense that he does understand the kind of guilt that future harry kim lived with and how that must have changed him as a person yeah so i thought it was great that harry sent that message so he would know that i'm your guardian angel voyager i got you yeah exactly <laughs> Well, let's jump to this episode that I've been kind of referencing throughout and is kind of a sequel to Future's End. This is Relativity, and this is one where Seven is taken by the time people that we see in the 29th century. And once again, we meet Captain Braxton. And I feel like already from the get-go, this is confusing because at the end of Future's End, Braxton said he did not live in the timeline where he was homeless in the 90s living yeah. on Earth. But in this episode, apparently he had to go through years of rehabilitation and therapy just to be able to get his post back in this time council or whatever they are. It's like black ops, but for time travel. <laughs> and so... I thought that was really strange, first off. <laughs> I saw this on IMDb because I was curious where or how he had regained those memories. So IMDb says that even though at the end of that story, his character appeared at the end and had no recollection of being stranded. As noted in the story, however, any time travel results in two or more versions of a person existing. They are reintegrated to be a single person. So that was probably done to Braxton. And they do say at the end of the episode that they're going to reintegrate all three of the Braxtons. So they must have the technology that turns them all into one. This agency is crazy big. It's nice that we get to see more in depth what it is and get to see Seven interacting with these people who are sending her to different time periods to stop this terrorist attack, essentially. Like, they're trying to blow up Voyager. Seven risks herself to make these jumps because you will have these temporal psychosis if you jump too many times. Because understandably, going back in time probably does a lot to your like neurology and everything. And even with Seven and her cortical implant and everything, it probably messes with that technology. This is a really cool episode because we get to see Seven interacting with a freshly minted Janeway. She's just about to start her command of Voyager. Yeah, this is a cool one. This is the episode where we get the explanation of all the different types of time events 
because we see that Seven is recruited over and over again because she keeps failing or dying <laughs> to stop this terrorist attack. When one of the temporal officers is briefing her, kind of quizzing her on all these different types of events, he asks her about the Dolly paradox, which is the melting clock effect, which is funny because it's obviously referencing the Dolly painting right. of the melting clock. But it's basically a temporal fissure that slows the passage of time to a gradual halt, which I believe we saw in The Next Generation. That be yeah. in our anomaly series but yeah <laughs> um then there's also the pogo paradox which we've talked about a lot in these episodes which is a causality loop in which interference to prevent an event actually triggers the same event mm-hmm. and then he also talks about the janeway factor <laughs> <laughs> which it means that she sticks her nose into where it doesn't belong and messes everything up <laughs> Which is absolutely a crucial part of Voyager and time travel is the Janeway effect. Yes. Oh my god. It's absolutely crucial, especially for this episode, because she does stick her nose in it again, and she ends up joining Seven at this time station, wherever they are in time and place. And she's an integral part, again, in saving the timeline along with, I mean, Seven, of course, is the real hero of this episode, but the Janeway factor is very strong with this one. And it's very strong in all of these episodes because she very much is a go-getter and just, oh, I'm going to figure this out. Also, she has such an incredible memory. She remembers Seven of Nine when she pretended to be a worker from Utopia Planitia. And so she's like, why are you on my ship? You are not a signed here when she comes back to a different point in time. So Janeway is very quick on her feet and recognizes problems and tries to fix them right away. And she recognizes the type of chroniton radiation that appears on the ship in Utopia Planitia. And that's because Seven was beamed from the future there. So then every time Seven is beamed from the future, Janeway is like, hey, it's these chronotons again. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it turns out that it's it's Braxton, right? Who is... What? Yes. Yeah, he, it's Braxton. He is the one. And it's all about how angry he is and his temporal psychosis that he has had to go and fix so many of Voyager's mistakes. Three major temporal incursions occurred just on Voyager in the past couple years and he's had to go back and fix them. And this is why we see two different Braxtons. We see the one who was dealing with temporal psychosis and it's really crazy that there's just like two of them hanging around one of them's trying to bomb them and the other one's trying to stop them. Well, yeah, at the end of the episode, there's three Braxtons. There's one in jail, there's one who's from the past and one who's from the present time. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) Yeah, so poor Braxton. I feel bad, especially because his first officer, whoever it is on that ship, arrests him for crimes he's going to commit. (laughs) Yeah, and then they, quote, reintegrated him in time for the trial, which I have no idea how that technology works. Sounds painful. Yeah, I don't know either, but I thought this was a cool episode, and I especially liked getting more answers about this time travel agency. I don't know at all if it's the same one that we see in Deep Space Nine. I assume they're all connected and maybe related to the Federation, but I have no idea at all. And maybe someday, (coughs) Discovery, we might get some more answers. Yeah, so that'd be great. Or Picard season two. Let's go. (laughs) Yes. Also, here's some fun facts that I found on IMDb that I thought were important to mention. The events of Star Trek First Contact are actually used as an example of the Pogo Paradox by Seven of Nine. She talks about First Contact a couple times, which is really cool. 
I also found it interesting, also from INDB, that the 29th century phaser that Seven of Nine uses against Braxton in this episode is the same type that Starling's assistant had in Future's End. So I just thought that was really cool. So I really don't want to talk about this episode theory because I didn't like it, but it is something that we should quickly mention. So this is a Kess is back episode, but this time she's evil and has a bunch of crazy overpowered powers. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah. She she just regrets her life choices. She regrets leaving the Ocampan homeworld and wants to go home. And she thinks that if she sends her past self from season one back home, then it'll change her future and she won't regret her life decisions. But then she just talks to Janeway and it's fine. And she goes home. <laughs> well, it's not truly fine because Janeway kills future Kess. Yeah. And then sends young Kess to give future Kess a warning for when this happens again. And Janeway does very much remember the exact events of this. She's like, oh, it's happening because it's a couple years later when Kess comes back again. And she says, oh, get everyone off of this deck. It's about to explode. She knows everything that's about to happen because she remembers those events. And it turns well, yeah, out- Yeah, because this time she did send her reminder on her phone. Yeah. She was like, hey, set timer for 2367 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. She did it last time, but this time she can. Yeah, so there you go, Janeway. And it's nice that young Kess is able to remind future Kess, like, hey, remember who you are. You made these choices. Do not blame Voyager for them. You still made the choice to go and explore. And what would your life be without it? Just on Ocampa? So, you know, I mean, it turns out okay, but it's crazy that Janeway has to kill future Kess in order for her to stop wrecking the ship. Yeah, I think it's sad because Kes had so many good moments on Voyager and so for this to be the way she goes out in the series is really a bummer and I'm glad she ended up turning around at the end and sympathizing with Janeway and everyone but I don't know, kind of a disappointing arc for Kes for me. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> yeah, especially because she travels back in time to season one and she's trying to be herself and we see that Neelix is interacting with her and he does make her smile and so I thought maybe that would change her mind but no yes not the only thing that can is previous Kess and Janeway <laughs> yep sounds right <laughs> I thought the next episode shattered our second to last one we're going to talk about in this podcast thank you guys for hanging in there it has been a joy to talk about all of these episodes sincerely um, yeah but shattered is interesting because I kind of view it as an ode to all of the cool moments we've had on Voyager. It's not a clip show by any means, but the ship has been shattered and every room is in a different time period. We have Seska chilling in the engine room and we have future Ichib and Naomi Wildman in Astrometrics. We have Janeway on the bridge before they've even entered the Badlands to go seek out the Maquis, which to me, I'm like, don't think about it too hard because that means means they're in the alpha quadrant yeah so don't think about it too hard but anyway yeah one part <laughs> of only the bridge is in the alpha quadrant i don't really get that's that wrong. space time. <laughs> but i guess because it is in a different time so that part space and time just sort of meld i don't know <laughs> i don't know but chakotay is inoculated against this effect because in the beginning of the episode he's zapped with this amazing effect <laughs> where his body is also shattered into different time periods but the doctor fixes him and basically, that is how 
they are going to fix the ship too. Is this inoculation that the doctor makes? <laughs> Chakotay takes Janeway by force and inoculates her. So then she can pass through all the different points in time in the ship like he can without vanishing. And they're able to travel around the whole ship. And so they have to go hilariously into all these rooms. They have to go onto the holodeck into the Captain Proton simulation and inject all of the gel packs in Voyager to bring the ship back together. So I thought this was a cool episode and a great tribute to all the good times <laughs> they've had on the ship. Yeah, it's certainly Voyager's greatest hits. And I really liked the way in which they did time travel in this because yes, technically it's caused by an anomaly, but we're talking about it because Chakotay is the main factor of how it gets back together and because he was injected with the chronoton particles. So yeah, I think it's cool to see everything in the different time period, but it's also so frustrating how many times Chakotay is telling Janeway about her future. And even the doctor is like, oh yeah, when we get stuck in the Delta Quad, and then Chakotay's like, excuse me, shush. But like, he shouldn't be mad because he literally was telling Janeway all the time about like, oh yeah, here's what happens now. Here's what happens at this time period. And Janeway's a little bit like, aren't you supposed to be following the temporal prime directive and not telling me anything? So they go back and forth of like one person's mad that they told him something and then the other person tells them anyway. It's just kind of inconsistent with Chakotay's care about the temporal prime directive and he sort of only uses it when he thinks it's important not to tell Janeway to like try to change the future and not have them get stuck in the delta quadrant so that part really frustrates me and I'm like Chakotay come on bud I think everyone can fight me. I think it's because he loves her and he can't hold back. Yeah. And even though this episode directly contradicts me because in the last couple minutes, my heart breaks when Janeway asked Chakotay, it seems like we've known each other really well in the future and we become very close. So how close do we get? And he says, there's some lines we never cross. Ouch. And I had to buy a new TV after that because I threw my remote at it and it shattered. <laughs> so it's, I have to go to Best Buy today to get a new TV. Yeah, shattered on shattered. Oh, hey, nice. That was good. <laughs> yeah, it breaks my heart and I am so sad. Ashlyn, uh, would you like your heart to be broken more when we talk about uh, Endgame? <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. Let's just dive in and game. <laughs> okay, well, first of all, we'll just get this out of the way quickly. The dumbest ship to ever be created. Ship, I mean, coupling ship is Seven of Nine and Chakotay. They had zero chemistry, and we're just getting that out of the way right now, that that's Ugh. dumb, and none of us accept it. <laughs> So this is the finale. We are on the Voyager finale. And boy, does this one have time travel in it. Like it is exclusively a time travel episode because we are yet again in sort of a timeless-esque episode where things didn't go exactly as the fans and the crew wanted. It took Voyager 23 years to get home. And along the way, 709 died and Chakotay passed later. And they lost a lot of other crewmen along the way. And Janeway, like you said, with Chakotay, she cannot live without Seven of Nine and without Chakotay. Her pain is just too much to handle. And also Tuvok is ill. And if they had gotten him back earlier, he would have been able to be cured by the Faltor Vo. Janeway goes back <laughs> into the past. She steals technology from the Klingons. She has this crazy armored ship. She's been preparing for this for years. It's clearly very well thought out and well planned, which tells me it's all she's been thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. Just like what happened with Harry when he was in the future, 
he and dealing with survival's guilt this is exactly what Janeway is going through she cannot deal with the fact that she didn't do better which Janeway did a fantastic job getting her crew home she's still an admiral I'm sure she got like the medal of honor and all the possible awards that she could get and this future is not a bad one for the rest of the crew. Harry is in a deep space mission for four years. He's as a, a captain. captain. <laughs> He's finally got promoted. The doctor has a wife. Everyone seems to be thriving except Janeway. And, and Tuvok. And Tuvok. Yeah. Yeah. And Tuvok. And I think the amount that she's haunted by the past and the fact that she's growing older and seems like she has nothing to live for kind of like picard yeah she does the only thing she can and that's go back into the past and save her old crew again oh man i mean again you're erasing so much time and changing years of the past, this is a huge deal. Poor Braxton. If he is to clean this one up, I don't know how he's going to do it. Um, <laughs> they got to send someone else to clean up this endgame. But yeah. I thought some of the best parts of these episodes was when Admiral Janeway is talking to Captain Janeway. And Admiral Janeway says, oh, the ungodly Temple Prime Directive. Take my advice. You'll save yourself a headache if you just ignore it. <laughs> Which I think we've hinted about in all of these discussions, but this is absolutely how she ends up feeling and exactly what she does. She knows this is a one-way trip. She assumes she's going to have to sacrifice herself in some way. And so when Captain Janeway wants to destroy the Borg and get home, have her cake and eat it too... Admiral Janeway is hesitant at first, but then she's like, you know what? Sure, I agree with my idealistic self. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, and I think she was able to learn more about herself. She was able to regain that possibly more reckless side of herself, but also more confident and passionate about the future that she wanted to create. Like you said, some of the best scenes are when the two of them are talking, which is literally just Kate Mulgrew acting. It's incredible. Like, I just love her so much. And for her to dominate the screen like this as two different versions of herself is so fun to watch to see Admiral Janeway start to mold herself back into this past and to remember who she is at her core is so important to remember who she is beyond her grief and beyond her desperation is really fun to watch I love the quote Captain Janeway says nothing quite compares to watching your future self bring your officers technology that hasn't been invented yet <laughs> I mean she is violating so many things so many directives by bringing technology into the past to fight the Borg but they are doing this for this sort of greater good they're doing what Janeway did seven years prior when she stranded them in the Delta Quadrant by risking their crew's life in order to save so many more people I mean like four galaxies yeah. yeah we're talking about destroying an entire transwarp conduit at the hub in this nebula where it's the nest of the Borg yeah it's crazy and cutting them off like this and destroying the Borg Queen is such a magnificent feat and it's something that's so genius and only when you put two Janeway heads together could this have happened and of course the rest of the crew helped but I truly believe it was the Janeway brainchild for both of them the Borg Queen tried to assimilate Admiral Janeway she infected the collective and spread this virus she essentially did what Picard was too afraid to do with Hugh in I Borg 
because initially their plan was to send a Borg back to be simulated with a terrible disease, and that's exactly what happens here. So I thought it's interesting that the Federation, no matter how old it gets, always thinks, oh, we can just kill the Borg by <laughs> having them assimilate a disease before they adapt to it. Literally, and it finally works here. I love also the part of the episode when Admiral Janeway is finally deciding what her fate is going to be and she says Voyager isn't big enough for the both of us and she knows that she does not belong in the time with her younger self and with this crew with people who are ghosts to her so I love that she makes the sacrifice and it's so bold and I think it is something that gave her a sense of living back again well, and you know what, Rihanna? We only have Seven of Nine in the show Picard because of Jane Way's sacrifice. She's the one that saved her. Yeah. Seven wouldn't have a future at all if it wasn't for her. So I think that's really great to think about. Rihanna's like weeping over here. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm legit tearing up. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I got for some reason a lot of Picard vibes watching a lot of these episodes because Every time a character makes it home, they are dissatisfied and leave Starfleet and go rogue. This happened with Chakotay and Kim and Janeway and Picard. <laughs> so I feel like the older you get, the more you're dissatisfied and you have to do something crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, and real quick, a parallel I found to be cool too was when Janeway is just about to hop into the past and she meets Kim as a captain. And it's yep. the same kind of situation where Jordy yep. was trying to stop Kim and Chakotay. And it's just really cool to see these parallels because now it's Kim who, if he had remembered that past timeline of himself, and he does say, like, I can't stop you, you know, essentially. He knows when Janeway set her mind to something, there's no stopping her. Uh, I love this finale. It's brilliant. I think especially Kate Milgrew shines like a star, as she always does. And everything turns out okay. They really get the best of all worlds, part one through 80. (laughs) (laughs) And Tom and Bellana's baby is born just in time as they're arriving in the Alpha Quadrant. They have hundreds of ships waiting because they think a Borg is about to come through (laughs) the the hub. And nope, it's just Voyager doing the most badass entrance of all time. Destroying a Borg sphere and then coming out the other side. This is what's crazy is we've never seen anything past this. Picard does not talk about Voyager at all. Seven never talks about the future. And so we don't know what's happening with this crew now. We certainly have seen hundreds of episodes, or in this case, nine episodes, of what their possible futures could be. But now the future is unwritten. I love this crew, and I hope that someday we get some answers about what happens to them after Endgame. Amen. Thank you, Ashlyn. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. So, Rihanna, this has been an absolute joy. Who knew we would have so many interesting discussions about time travel and Voyager? Absolutely. I'm just so glad that we got to watch all of these wonderful episodes. Absolutely. And really quick, before we go, we want to let you know that we are going to have a special guest on for our Enterprise Woo. time travel episode, which will be revealed next week so please stay tuned and we are very excited to welcome our guest on and we hope that you all have a great weekend or week or whenever you're listening to this and hang in there hang in there yep thank you for listening to the dura sisters podcast 
Please tune in next week for the fifth episode of our time travel series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss the time travel episodes in Star Trek Enterprise. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith, and our outro, Worst Revenge, is by Arillo Voltaire. Hello! Um, I'm wondering, I'm watching Shattered right now, which is season 7, and it was caused by Anomaly, but Chakotay is, like, the only one affected, so he is the person it was in the time, but it was caused by Anomaly, so I feel like we shouldn't count it, but, I don't know, I'm, like, 10 minutes in, and it's, like, fine, I might just watch it, and then if we cut it, we cut it, you know? But anyway, um, yeah, call me back because I'm just not sure which way to go with this. So anyway, all right, love you. Bye.